0: To the heart of healthcare with Dr. G. This is a podcast that is unafraid to address current issues regarding top healthcare needs and concerns. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. We're so excited to be here with you. And today we have Dr. G again. We're so excited she's gonna be every time with us. And my name is Tony Kiskin. and I'm your host. Today we're gonna to be talking about loneliness and how it really can affect individuals that are end-of-life, individuals that are not end-of-life, and we're really going to have a a pretty in-depth discussion about it. It's a tough thing to talk about, isn't it, Dr. G? But we're going to be able to discuss it and be able to really get to some of the meat of it. We've got some great individuals who have some studies on it, and so we really feel confident that you'll be able to go away with some good information. Before I get there, I'd like to go ahead and start off with our scripture. And today's scripture is 1 Peter 1, 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth and a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're so excited to be able to start off our podcast this way. So welcome back again. What I'd like to do, actually, Dr. G, is you're not going to believe it. We've got some questions. We Can, made it. Yes. <laughs> So today we've got some questions and we do want to talk about those before we actually start uh, going into loneliness. So the first question that we got actually is from Steve, and Steve is in Wildomar, and my understanding from Steve is that he travels a lot and he goes out of state and uh, really kind of has family that are in other parts of the country. The question that he had for us, Dr. G, is. If you are located out of state, how can you be sure that a hospice care that you choose is as conscientious as to what you described in your
1: podcast? So what do you think about that, Dr. G? Well, that's a good question, Steve. Thank you for reaching out to us. Um, I hope we uh, provided good information. So what I think about with that question is quality measures, that's what he's asking about. Um, We know that there are increasing quality measures each year uh, Medicare puts in place to show this hospice is different from this hospice. Some of those things include uh, if they provide continuity of care when symptoms are unmanaged. Uh, if you receive a physician visit uh, in the last week of life, last three days of life, if the team, the uh, IDT visits you, the social worker and the chaplain. so those are some things and it's actually compiled on a website. I think yes, you it's know actually
0: about. it's perfect. It's called Hospice Compare mm-hmm. and it's on the Medicare website. So oh, you're okay. exactly right. So that's a really good answer for Steve and they basically. They have stars, yeah, um, and, it, and on this uh, hospice compare, they'll really be able to kind of measure out and, and look at the quality of what individuals, families, patients are saying about the different hospices. Regardless of what state you're on, Medicare, as we know, it's federal, so it's really good that way. I like your answer that to that, Dr. G, and, and the reason why is because sometimes uh, physicians or nurse practitioners don't even go out. To visit folks, and your they they do everything from the nurses giving information, and then telephonically they'll give them some direction. But we know that that's not really the intention of having a physician or provider on your serve on in your program to be able to go out and see patients and families. Yeah. I be in these streets. <laughs> not right. a joke,
1: Maya Elizabeth. So you're in these streets today. No, I uh, I do the visits. We uh, are shout out to our sponsor, Destiny Hospice. I actually am a part of a thread that we keep when there's a change in condition, when we think someone's transitioning or their symptoms are not managed. I monitor that and do a visit so that we can make sure things are on track. Not just with the symptoms, though, the family, because there's also high anxiety with all this stuff. As you guys know, let's take a breath. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's making sure the family is able to manage the medications. They know where to call, just kind of settling things. Uh, And those are always special visits.
0: Absolutely. And I'm very proud of the fact that the majority of hospices that we are talking about do have physicians and other providers like nurse practitioners that can go out, but we do want to make sure that we do give that advice that they do look for a hospice that way. Uh, The federal government really is very strict on their guidelines so that hospice compare is is a very good way to um, be able to take a look. The other question that uh, was out there is what types of questions should you ask a hospice when you're interviewing them?
1: Well, I would wanna know, again, back to the quality indicators, when will I see a doctor? Because hospice is medical care. Um, sometimes they say, you'll hear a news report saying, oh, they decided to uh, stop medical care and get hospice. That's, that doesn't make sense. Hospice is medical care that we bring to you. Sometimes it's in the hospital for general inpatient, but we bring the doctor, the nurse, the team to you, and um, that's it. So I I would want to know that, and a lot of times uh, I'm not necessarily doing things, you know, physical things.
0: Many times
1: I'm listening to the story that brought them to this bed, that got them debilitated, they're wanting to rehearse when they first found out, if they thought they missed it at some point, what they did, and they just want to be heard and make sure they did everything. So um, when I write those notes in um, Hospice MD or, or EMR, uh, I feel like I'm writing you know, their story. It's important. And I always ask, what did you do for a living? Right. Whatever it is. So, um, yeah. It's good. I want to know when will I see a doctor and how often are you guys visiting me? Who do I call in the middle of the night? Absolutely. And I
0: think also a really good question is how long is it going to take you to get out here? Mm -hmm. How far is your staff? A lot of times you might be triaged in between the drive, but you really don't want people that are uh, that far out from the area that you're servicing folks. I think that that's a really good question, and I think that your question is very good, and of course, it makes perfect sense being a physician and knowing how important this service is. The next question that we have uh, is kind of an interesting one, Dr. G, because it's about you, (laughs) and they want to know,
1: what are those rubber band bracelets on your wrist? Well, 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 this is like the evidence of my life. Last episode, we talked about me a little bit um, and my family background and my journey, so... um, The bracelets I wear here, uh, this one is, um, so it's the loci bracelet. So loci bracelet carry elements from the highest and lowest points on the earth. Mount Everest is the white bead on the top representing the high points in life, and mud from the Dead Sea is the black, and it signifies the difficult moments. And so there's another little blurb about it, but it's supposed to inspire you and just keep you balanced in those times because we all experience the ups and downs of life. Excellent. Oh, I love that, Dr. G. And then the blue ones here are from my husband's uh, application and sports program he has. He actually wrote a book um, during the pandemic. A lot of people did things during the pandemic. (laughs) Yes. Started businesses, (laughs) wrote books, changed things, did all kinds of things. So for my family, Uh, My husband, in particular, he wrote the Warrior Parent Playbook. Like I talked about last week, uh, I'm the only non-athlete in my family, by the way, so I think me wearing all of them is me overcompensating for being the non-athlete in the family. (laughs) But uh, I live with four athletes, and um, the Warrior Parent Playbook is a book just to empower parents to use the, the characteristics that are built in sports to bring out the greatness in your child. So we all wanna have great life skills and a lot of times that's not taught. Um, and so you'll learn a lot about me in there and how I did it, I'm an empty nester. Um, and it's it's kinda around sports, but the hashtag is living greatness and that's what we do. So these are the different bands for the different things that they work on each week. So teamwork, that's something we do in healthcare, um, growth mindset, adaptability, leadership, self-discipline, passion. So a bunch of things that, that we know, everyone loves sports, or if you sports could be playing chess, it could be playing an instrument. So those intense things that require mental toughness, it's all about that and bringing it out in your child so that they know what they do on the field is also something they do in life. So that's, Oh, that's I that. love
0: that. Mm-hmm. Now, why don't we give him a shout-out as to what his name is?
1: My husband's name is Javelin Guidry, and uh, he has the same name as my oldest son, who we mentioned, so we have to keep the K in there. His middle initial is Javelin K. Guidry. K, like my first right. name. Right, yes. Uh, kind of like George W. Bush. I like it like you know i like that different. you have the middle names yeah yeah yep. that yeah. So my husband yeah but again this is his book warrior parent playbook uh javelin m gidry living greatness utilizing sports to empower your children buy it for your grandkids nice or buy it for the parents of uh, both both I like, I like
0: the idea of buying it for uh, grandkids as well Yeah. and uh, I'm a new grandma today so well yes on Sunday so I'm very excited I'm, I'm thanking you for that the first time so very exciting in our family so I will be getting that book Dr. G for sure righty. so we got through our questions and that is exciting please If you have any questions or you're interested in finding out more about Dr. G or anything about the podcast that you want us to talk about, please feel free to give us a call. All that information is in our podcast, uh, in the notes, and we can also uh, have you. Feel free to call us at any time, and we are looking forward to those, and we'll answer questions as we get them in. Alrighty. So let's go ahead. and jump into our loneliness and loneliness even the word itself can make you feel kind of sad but we don't want this podcast to get you down this podcast is really to empower you and to empower your families and to empower those so that you can move on from these kinds of things and so that's an exciting thing of what we really want to accomplish here and it's called loneliness because of illness and i don't know if very many people know this dr g but loneliness can kill it absolutely can and what's interesting is i was looking at some studies it can actually um, shorten our lifespan by 25 percent so actually 26 percent so that actually makes it more deadlier than obesity alcoholism and according to this study published it can be one of the biggest things that can cause some disparity in families so there was a study that was done by Judy ho Gavaza, and she's a PhD, a clinical psychologist, and associate professor of psychology at Pepperdine University. And she was really able to uncover that loneliness is a painful, emotional, and can have devastating impact on both your psyche and your physical health. Now we know that you yourself, Dr. G, have actually delved into this when you were in medical school, so let's have you talk a little bit about that for us.
1: Yeah, well, actually, um, I I didn't really dive into it a lot. You're talking about the project. Yes, your project. Oh, yeah, the project. More in your palliative program. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So this was the palliative medicine um, elective that I did in residency. I did a whole month in my intern year and another month in my second year. And so the first year to culminate the palliative medicine uh, elective, after we did all the CAPC modules and all that stuff and did the inpatient and and outpatient palliative care was to do an art project. Um, It was assigned to uh, us and whatever we wanted to do. So I'll just share what I came up with. And I want to focus on highlighting the part that um, I created a mnemonic. Only the folks on YouTube will be able to see what it is here, Uh, but I'll share the picture. So I made a mnemonic um, using hospital because. Maybe bring it a little bit
0: closer. I've
1: always loved hospitals. Um I my my parents used to work in hospitals and I, I used to go to work with them back in the day when you could do that. It was right. Martin Martin <laughs> King hospital. I'd be coloring in the emergency room. But um It's very comfortable for me. I volunteer there. Like I mentioned before, I would go on Christmas so that I could alleviate some of the burden that people felt for being there on Christmas. So spend time with my family, open presents, say, "Okay, I'll be back as a pre-med. I mean, obviously, I didn't have a choice in residency. I was there. (laughs) But I just did a mnemonic on hospital. And I have a little hospital bed there. And one side is black and the other side is white. That's the other side. So the dark side of it has the hospital bed. And I made it this way because it just reminds me of the loneliness that I would perceive in some of the patients, like even if they were surrounded by family members, well-intended, loving them, being there for them. um, Sometimes they were talked about and they actually didn't have a voice to express what they wanted. Um, You know, family members fighting, um, advocating, well-meaning, you know, Uh, But I I just saw that so it's always my priority to hear from the person who's actually laying in the bed Um, You know that that's my thing and I some kind of way I figure it out every case is different But so I made a mnemonic out of hospital. So the H stands for harm on the dark side Uh, physicians were uh, We do the Hippocratic oath when we graduate from medical school and become physicians We are to do no harm and sometimes You know, things can go too far, in my opinion, Um, always with patient consent, but if you, I'll just give an example, if someone has cancer, they have, they weigh 80 pounds, you know, they're 90 years old, should we really continue with treatments? I'm not saying that's an actual case, but everyone can can picture that in their head. So that's what the harm is there. Um, Obscure—it's the O. Uh, sometimes we're using medical jargon. The people don't even know what they're doing, what procedure they're going to. Just confusion. What's next? What's my next step? Um, scared. There's fear. I, f- I feel it. It's palpable. Uh, the fear and some of the things that are encountered. Pain. Pain is something that's very devastating and and you know makes an impact. Inhumane for the eye. T, I put torture. Oh, um, that's more from my perspective, being uh, in the the middle of the night, doing the night call, for instance. Um, one person that comes to mind was actually put on hospice, an older person, and couldn't breathe. Couldn't breathe. Um, and this person started became delirious and started taking off the oxygen mask in the middle of the night. So the family's gone. This person is there two o'clock in the morning taking it off. I get a page from the nurse, Dr. Guidry, can you give me an order for the soft restraints because they're taking it off because that's what the family wanted to do. So that can get me choked up right there. Yeah. Imagine having to do a, a limited restraint order for someone who yeah. they
0: don't want the oxygen anyway
1: yeah that's that those that feels yeah. like torture for me yeah uh doing absolutely um, cpr on someone who is at the late stages of cancer you know systemic but you know they want to do everything and of course it's their choice we respect that but having to actually do it right it's really Difficult. It makes it rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that T was for torture. A, um, apathy. Um, you know, we can sometimes we on our side as healthcare professionals have to put up a shield to protect our hearts from that vulnerability you're seeing trying to seep up. Out of me right now. Um, and then sometimes folks who've endured so many things with the healthcare system that we all know is broken, they're just so frustrated and upset. And a lot of times I feel like I'm cleaning up the healthcare system, the, the idealism of our healthcare system right. in the United States. Yeah. When I go visit them, you know, they're saying all this stuff and hospital missed this and why didn't they do this? And I have to explain things and kind of help them understand the processes and then Absolutely. that gives them peace of mind. And so uh, a lot of situations. So the L we got to the topic for today, lonely. That was my last one there. So that's the sad side. The other side, I'm in there if you can see the selfie. Um, so hospital and of course palliative, huge and big right there. So the H stands for healing. O, openness, S for saving lives, uh, palliative, P, I, intimate, T, uh, treatments um, for symptoms, A, appreciation, and L for love, because we create loving environments. Absolutely. So that was my art project.
0: That is beautiful. And I think that our folks that are watching really need to understand how important it is when you're looking at care for an individual and they don't want the care. And how that dark side that you showed that over there and going through each letter, how it really impacts them when they should be able to have their own voice. And that, even though people may be around them, is a form of loneliness that actually becomes internal because no one's hearing them. No one's hearing the wishes that they want. Um, And so I love that.
1: I'm like, hey, wait, everybody, Let me listen. So, I have asked people to leave the room so that I can talk to the patient or give me privacy or or whatever. Every situation is different. So those are really challenging. And then with COVID, um, we saw that people were lonely having to have Zoom goodbyes to their families. And the nurses were conducting those sessions. You know, I mentioned to you, uh, my husband's uncle was in San Diego and he you know, said
0: goodbye to the family on Zoom. Yeah, and that makes it rough. And, And the thing about when you turned that over on your project and then it was all light and hearing all of those very positive words and knowing that people can be listened to, people can have a voice for themselves. And you mentioned the pandemic and you mentioned Zoom, and that was so tragic for them to have to go through that in our program a lot we were in situations where families would call and they would beg us you are caring for my loved one I can't go in they're saying that nobody can come in their doors are shut they're not allowed to have any visitors whatsoever food is basically slipped into them and they are going to die of loneliness is that possible you can do something and it was so heart-wrenching for us as as folks that are trying to do the best that we can because we couldn't go in and so the loneliness during the pandemic really wants us to be able to bring this out to you folks that are out there that are watching our podcast and realizing that even in these studies that were done before the pandemic in saying that 20 percent of people that were lonely cuts their lifespan down by that 26 Mm percent and that People can literally die more than they can from obesity or even any other kind of serious illness. And we also know that loneliness can worsen at the end of life. And you were just at a conference that spoke to
1: that. Yeah, I'm coming off the heels of two amazing annual conferences, Um, the Society of General Internal Medicine. Annual conference. It was t- entitled "Transforming Values into Action," and also the um, associate, the American College of Physicians. Dr. Oh, Fauci was there. <laughs> um, Mastering medicine together. Those were just two weeks of amazing learning, and of course, I was in the palliative medicine updates. So one of them actually. Um, talked about what you just mentioned the exacerbation of the loneliness in covid patients and um there's a study here that was done by uh, Dr. Abadini uh, from Harbor Harborview Medical Center. She presented some of the findings, and they used a three-item revised revised UCLA Loneliness Scale. And I have to say, go Bruin, since I'm a Bruin. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they used that, and they they came up with some figures. So um, they said that 34% of the people they were lonely and they had increased odds of the symptoms. Um, I sent you some of those things like dyspnea, um, you know, pain was worse. And then also increased odds of intensity at the end of life, meaning, you know, more do everything right that desperate kind of okay. thing um and so they they pointed out how the end of life is a vulnerable time for lonely adults uh, especially those in the pandemic they lost some partners i do home visits uh, for medicare advantage um as a side gig and for me it's community service just to reach some right, the vulnerable right. and i i encountered some people who lost their spouses during the pandemic it was so sad Uh, and they, it was really tough. And so um, they, the point of this study was to show we should consider screening for loneliness in our vulnerable patients. And some of the questions, I sent them to you, but it was, it it asked, uh, do you feel left out? Do you feel isolated, you know, all these things. And so those are important factors and that's where we can bring social work on board. Um, Now that things are opening up and we are at the light at the end of the tunnel, we can, revamp, um, restart our, our volunteer program, and people can be seen a little bit more. Obviously, still social distancing, right, but right. Uh, it's just important to pay attention to, you know, the loneliness, uh, the visits. Many people weren't getting social contact. When I was doing some visits in assisted livings memory and memory cares, the cafeterias were closed. All the little games that they would do together, done. These people were stuck in their rooms and it was very sad and that's why
0: i really think that we wanted to bring this to the table Um, the pandemic as you mentioned is kind of um, slowing down a little bit more now so we're hoping not to see it at the level that it was before but we do have an 800 number and i want to be able to share that with you so that if you are or a loved one are in a situation where you really are feeling that loneliness, like what we're talking about, or you feel like you've screening yourself and you're feeling very lonely that way, or your loved one is, we'd like you to call 831-337-8469. And this hotline is really for those that are feeling lonely or isolated. And we want you to be able to have an outlet for that. And if you don't have somebody and you're really feeling like you need to just talk to somebody, we're here for you for that. And we will have this information in our notes for our podcast, but most importantly, we want you to know that we're here for you. Dr. G, myself, our team, we're here. We wanna be able to help those, whether it's going, finishing up this pandemic or you're just going through it because you're just lonely. You've lost somebody. You don't have those folks around you, those families, Or you just feel like people are not listening to you. That's another thing that we talked about that can make you feel lonely. So we'd like to go ahead and wrap it up. We plan on seeing you at our next one. Please continue to tell your friends, your family, your loved ones about us. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to At the Heart of Healthcare with Dr. G. Help us by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. We can't wait to see you next time.